many things that threaten our freedom in the Christian walk. Well, I, I believe that salvation is secure as for the child of God. I think that Christian freedom is subject to being hindered. It's subject, it's fragile for us to walk in that. And we have to protect that and guard that. We're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, Paul likened the Christian life to be like a race. Uh, uh, he, he used the, he loved this analogy that he, the Christian life was like running a race, okay? So in Galatians, he told, he told the Galatians, Paul told the Galatians, you guys were running well, right? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So he, he likened the, 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 the Christian life to, to a race that, that we're all called to partake in. And, um, over the years, I've exercised and I've jogged. And, and this year I've been more consistent in it than I, I have been. And I enjoy doing it. And as I was studying for this passage, to preach on this passage this week, I was thinking about a time uh, back when I lived in East Dallas several years ago, maybe 10 years ago. I was in Old East Dallas, and um, that day I chose not to go jog at White Rock Lake, which is a great place to jog. I, went, I, went, I wanted to jog through the neighborhood there in Old East Dallas over off of Columbia and Munger. You remember, you used to live over there. And so I'm jogging through there, and as I'm jogging, just getting my exercise on, getting my praise on, you know, there's a lot of stray dogs in in East Dallas. Like they 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 just roam around. Like they they you know we got some East Dallas folks here, right? And so I'm I'm jogging. I see this dog. This dog actually wasn't stray. This dog was chained up. And so I'm jogging. I'm thinking I'm all right. It looks pretty vicious, but it's barking. And that and as it's going after me. I'm thinking, well, that dog has a chain on. I'm, I'm all right. And sure enough, that chain snapped. And I went from just casual jogging to booking it. I mean, I took off like crazy. And it I don't know how close it got, but I went to the nearest fence because I went back in the old school mode. Because I knew how to run. If I needed to run, if there was if there was some danger, I knew how to get out of there and, and, and hop fences. And uh, it was kind of a fun thing, actually. But I remember just barely making it over this fence and this dog just right behind me. And I, and then I, I got into this other yard and I started looking around to make sure there's no dogs in that yard going to come after me. So I ran real quick and got out of that one. Um, and, and I, I share this because Paul likened the legalists who were advocating circumcision. He likened them to be like dogs. Their, their intentions are not good. They're, they're dangerous. They're, 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 they bite, they devour, they hinder. Uh, and they had hindered the Galatian Christians from walking in the freedom that Christ had purchased for them. And this morning, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at this freedom in Christ and how Christ has purchased it and how you and I have to guard and protect that freedom that we have. And we have the responsibility to use it well. Pray with me and we'll get started in Galatians 5. Father, I thank you for your word, that your word is inspired, that your word is true, and that your word liberates us. You say that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And so this morning I pray, Father, that you would, with the truth of Scripture, with the truth of the gospel, that you would tear down strongholds and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. 
I pray that you would break bondages of fear, of condemnation, of addiction, of legalism in the lives of your people here, God. And may we walk in freedom. May we walk in confidence. May we walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. May we walk in the fullness of the life that you have given us in Christ. And so guide me as I speak your words this morning. and Help me get out of the way. Put the spotlight on you and what your word says in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Galatians 5.1. Do you have it? If you would turn there with me. If you don't, it's up on the screen. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Amen. So here's where we're going this morning from the text. And it's that Christ has set us free. Therefore, we must guard our freedom and give ourselves to serving others in love. Christ has set us free. If you're a Christian, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. You've been given new life. You are free. Free not to sin, but free to obey God and free to walk in this newness of life that He's given you in Christ. Jesus came to set captives free. In Luke 4, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. He said in John 8, He who the Son sets free is free He who the Son sets free is free indeed. If you're in Christ Jesus, that is true about you. Even if you feel it or not. There's an objective reality to our freedom. Christ has set us free. It's true. You know, there's been times throughout history where 
where a war has been won and there were people who were still captive to the other country or to the other soldiers and they were captive until they heard the good news that the war was won. They kept living like they were captives until they actually heard the good news that, that they've been delivered. They've been set free. They can go. They can, they can be free now. And Jesus brought victory. Jesus declared victory, freedom through what he had done. The king arrived and he showed up and he fought against Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and he brought freedom to his people. And that's true about you and me this morning. So my first point is simply this. Our freedom was purchased by Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Paul has already mentioned the word redemption in Galatians a couple times already. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. You've been redeemed. Christ has bought you back. He's redeemed you. And that implies freedom. You don't have to live in bondage to sin. Or you don't have to live in bondage to religious, uh, a religious yoke of legalism. Christ has set us free. Okay. And that has some powerful implications for us. The, the reality that Christ has set us free. Tim Keller says this. So gospel freedom has at least two facets. There is a conscience freedom. I am free from the guilt of my imperfect performance. And there is motivational freedom. I am free from the old drive to perform. I no longer need or want to follow the old pursuits as ways to win my righteousness or assure myself of worth. Christ has set us free. You're free. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that's true? And are you walking in that? Now, most of the time when we talk about freedom or oftentimes when we talk about freedom, we talk about it in the context of being freed from addiction, some kind of drug addiction or sexual addiction or some kind of uh, sensual, sinful thing, that, that a gross sin. But here, in this context, Paul wasn't, wasn't primarily focusing on those kinds of sins being freed from. He did touch on it, but, but his primary focus in this letter is being set free from the, the religious sins of trying to justify yourself through the works of the law. You see, when I became a Christian, Christ had set me free from drug addiction and from living in sexual immorality. December 12th, 1998, He broke those chains off my life and I had no desire to go back to that old way of living. I, I had had new life in Christ. But my heart gravitated Towards legalism. I got, I walked around, I was running with other brothers who also had this tendency. And, uh, I remember at one point, here, this kind of reveals where, how, how bad it was at one point. I was, there was a visiting pastor at our church, uh, visiting, and he had written some books on grace. He had written a book on grace. He, he had, his message was a message of grace. And, and at that season in my life, I kind of despised that. I didn't, I, I kind of despised those who were always talking about grace because I felt like they were just giving a license to sin. Like, like if Christians really believe that and get a hold of that message of grace, they're just going to indulge the flesh and go live a sinful life, compromise life. Cause I had seen plenty of Christians or professing Christians talk about grace and their life showed little fruit of a life that's been transformed by grace. 
And so, so anyways, I had some legalistic tendencies and I kind of, I pushed back on somebody, on people that I thought were out of balance with focusing on grace. And so anyways, my mom introduced me. She was, my mom was proud of her and she still is of her son. And she, we share each other's testimony because we got saved around the same time and God redeemed us around the same time. And so we share our testimony. Our testimonies are interwoven. Anyways, so she says, this is my son. Uh, he preaches the law. He says, you preach too much grace. This is what my, this is what my mom said. This is how my mom introduced me to the visiting pastor who was a, a godly guy who had written on grace and, and I respect him, just a solid theologian, but it made me sound like a Judaizer. This is my son. He preaches the law. You pre- he says you preach too much grace. And you know what? If I were to, to have a conversation with my young self at that time, I would confront some of those legalistic tendencies that I had in my life in that season of, 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 of my walk. I knew Jesus. I had been set free. But I went to the other other extreme of, of legalism. There's this in, in this passage particularly, Paul deals with both legalism and license. He addresses both. And we tend to go towards one or the other. But the Christian life is a life of balance. There are truths in the Christian life that we have to hold intention and not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Not, not neglect one spiritual truth because you love the other one so much. Like truths like the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. Those are both truths that the, that the scripture teaches. Some tend to put so much emphasis on free will and human responsibility that they, 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 they narrow down the sovereignty of God to this very shallow thing in, in the Bible, that the Bible doesn't present it as. Or others may, may put such an emphasis on the sovereignty of God that they leave little room for the responsibility of, of, of man. And, and see, the Bible teaches both, and we can't throw one out with the other. The Bible teaches that we are free from the law. That, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. But does that mean that we as Christians completely disregard the law of Moses? Or does it, as Paul says, still have some value that all scripture, he says, is inspired by God and is useful for the man of God to be equipped for every good work, right? So it still it has some value. So let, let's go on here. Christ has brought freedom to our lives, but we must protect that freedom. Our freedom must be protected by us. It's fragile. And don't, don't mishear me now. I'm not talking about our eternal salvation. Christ himself has secured that. And I strongly believe that. But this, the subjective freedom that we have, if, if we believe lies of legalism, and when I'm talking about legalism, I'm talking about trying to earn acceptance before God by what we do, by keeping the law, by things that we do, or trying to serve God in our own strength. To do what He clearly wants us to do, but we do it in our own strength. I'm just gonna will it to happen, right? Or, Add to God's rules, things that God actually hasn't commanded, but we think, well, I think God would like this. Let's add this to the commandments. That's what the Pharisees did, probably with good intentions originally. But they added to God's commands, and they thought that they were pleasing God. And and the Bible describes that, Paul describes that as a yoke of slavery. 
Paul says that because Christ has set us free, we are to stand firm in that. Stand firm in that. I used to be in boxing. And in boxing, uh, one of the things that the, my coach always emphasized with me was that I had a good I had a good footing that my that I was balanced and centered that I wasn't too far over one way or the other because if I got hit when I was too far one way if I wasn't centered then I would get knocked down right in the Christian life there is there's necessity for balance there's necessity for firm stance upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the enemy's going to come at us in all kinds of different ways if he can't get you with sensual sins then he'll try to get you with social sins like bitterness and judgment or or religious sins like trying to keep the law legalism right and so Paul exhorts the church over and over throughout his letters, stand firm, don't lose your ground, don't let anybody uh, knock you off your stance in the gospel, stand. Because there's a spiritual battle going on all around us. And so we have to stand firm in the truth of the gospel, stand firm in the victory that has been won. And then he says, do not submit yourself to a yoke of slavery. Uh, in, in Acts, the apostles, so Gentiles were getting saved. So non-Jewish people were getting saved. And so the apostles had to figure out, like, how are we going to do church when we got Jewish people who've always observed the law and kept the festival, kept the Sabbath, and, and, and then we got these non-Jewish people who are getting saved, and the Holy Spirit's coming on them, and it's evident that God is really saving these guys by grace through faith. Uh, so what do we do? How, do, how, does, the, how does a Gentile Jewish church that's one function now? And so they had this big meeting, like, let's, let's flesh this out. The leaders flesh this out. And this is one of the things that was, what, that was said here. Um, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we who have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. You see, the the it, the emphasis was on the grace of Jesus when it comes to salvation and and the yoke here that that he's referring to uh, is the the law of Moses the whole law keeping the law the the yoke and Paul calls that a yoke of slavery if you're gonna try to justify yourself by that it's gonna wear you out because if you're trying to do that then you are you're obligated to keep the whole law. I shared not too long ago about um, when, when I went to this counselor, this deliverance counselor, and he he perceived legalism in my life, and he took me skillfully through the Ten Commandments, and he showed me how messed up I was. And I had done that with others in evangelism and found it to be very effective and helpful. But but he, he, he brought me to a place of like, man, I messed up. And then he brought me to a place of the gospel truth in the book of Galatians here. He let me feel the weight of it. If you're going to try to, to, to be all right with God by being a good person through the law, then you, you're obligated to keep that whole thing. But the, the law wasn't made for that. Like I said before, it's, it's like a mirror. It shows us that we're messed up, but you don't wipe your face off with the mirror, right? When you looked in the mirror this morning and you saw you needed to wash, you needed to put makeup on, you needed to fix your hair and so on, you didn't expect the mirror to do that for you and start using the mirror to do that, right? That, that would be foolishness. That's not the function of a mirror. 
We look into it to see ourselves in reality, and it shows us, and it doesn't lie to us, right? The mirror tells us the truth, but it, it, it doesn't do anything to change the reality about who we are. But the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ does. The gospel transforms us. The gospel saves us. The gospel empowers us. Jesus said this. He said to those who were under this yoke of Judaism, he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, a, a yoke is a, a tool there a, a, that would that would link up two oxen, two animals, and that they would work together. And so this is this is the analogy that Paul's using that's used regarding um, Judaism. And Jesus says, "My yoke, take my yoke on you. My yoke's easy, and my burden is light." Have you ever wondered, like, how could Jesus say that? Because when Jesus came, he didn't come and lower the standards for, for morality, did he? I mean, he said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, if you look to lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart. Uh, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say, if you're angry with your brother, you're, you're in danger of judgment, right? And so it seemed that Jesus was, was applying really the heart level of the law, explaining the, the, the God's heart, God's intention behind it. And it seemed to raise the bar, at least for, for those, the, the understanding of the law in that day. Cause it was all about externals for many of the Jews. Let's just externally keep it, but in their heart, they can be full of all kinds of greed, murder, immorality, right? And, and God is interested in the heart. But how could Jesus say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, when he would call men and women to give up everything to follow him? Well, first of all, I, I submit this to you, that Jesus himself is the basis, his performance and what he's done for us, his finished work on the cross is the basis for our acceptance and forgiveness, so we don't take a yoke and try to work for God to earn status with God. That's been provided freely by grace through Jesus Christ. And we receive that by faith. And so we as Christians are to work. We are to be godly and we are to be faithful. and We are to serve and give our lives to do good works. But we don't do those to earn status and favor with God. We do that from a place of already having the finished work of Christ declared over our life, forgiven, free, accepted, loved, child of God. And that changes everything about how you live your life and how you perform Christian deeds and do Christian discipline. That changes everything because you're not doing it to try to make daddy love you more. He already loves you and you can't improve upon his perfect love for you. It's an offense to the cross. It grieves the heart of the father if we think that we're, we're going to make him love us more by the things that we do. Jesus' yoke is easy. His burden is light. Also, Jesus doesn't only give a high standard of morality. He empowers us by his spirit to live godly lives. And it's not, it's not our own strength that we produce the fruit. That's the next, that's next week, the fruit of the spirit. That comes from the power of the spirit of God living inside of us, leading us 
like like wind in the in the wing beneath the wings of an eagle. We just spread our wings. We position ourselves in faith and lean upon the grace of God. Lean upon the Spirit of God and He enables us to live godly life. So Jesus can say these words. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. John, 1 John 5, 3, He says He can say uh, his, command, his commandments are not burdensome. Right? He can say that because we don't obey those commandments in our own strength. Namely, the command to love God and, and love others. So, so watch out for a false gospel, a message of legalism, a, a message that that attaches Jesus to it. That says, "Yeah, Jesus is great. You need to you need to follow him. Uh, you need to be a Christian, but you need this too. You need circumcision." Now, now that circumcision for us is is maybe culturally like maybe a little bit disconnected. Um, actually, I mean, many of us still practice circumcision, right? If you if you have a boy, most a uh, lot of us who have boys have had our boys circumcised, right? But it's not because it's not a righteousness thing at all. Hope I hope you're not thinking it's a righteousness thing. If you did, if you did have your boys uh, circumcised, uh, Paul himself isn't against circumcision in and of itself. I mean, remember a while back I was talking about how he was, he's. Rolling with Timothy, Timothy was going to be a missionary partner with him, and he had Timothy get circumcised. Like this was a grown man. Timothy was half Jewish, uh, half Gentile, and and Paul says, "Hey, you know, let, let's let's make let's take care of this before we go." Why? We talked about this. Let me just explain this. It wasn't a matter of righteousness; it was a matter of witness. It was a matter of Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 9 that I become, to the Jew, I become like a Jew that I might win the Jews. I become all things to all men that I might win the more for Christ, right? And so so Paul didn't want anything like circumcision to be a stumbling block for him in his ministry, okay? Okay, so look, but watch out for a false gospel. Let's continue this, uh, verse 2. Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man, whoever accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. And here, this this is where Paul explains what legalism is. You who would be justified by the law. You who would be justified by the law. That's legalism. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul puts the puts the the spotlight on this issue of circumcision that 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 if you're trying to justify yourself by keeping the law namely through circumcision here by getting circumcised uh by doing the, those things that the law says then then you are severed from Christ Christ won't the benefits of what Jesus has done for you won't be applicable if you're trusting in that circumcision that keeping of the law so it's not Jesus plus circumcision for salvation. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So if you try to make it Jesus plus anything else, then you lose Jesus. If you try to add to the gospel, you lose the gospel. Okay? 
And so Paul was very strong. He used very strong language when he was talking about this. As Paul said, I wish those guys would just go emasculate themselves. I mean, that sounds, that sounds pretty strong. You know, one commentator says that if we cared for the church as much as Paul did, we too would want false teachers to cease from being amongst them, right? And so Paul had such a passion for the church walking in gospel freedom, being living as children of God who are loved and accepted and free, that he used some really strong language. And he said that those who are trying to justify themselves by the law, they're severed from Christ. Christ won't be any advantage to them if they're trying to justify themselves from the law, by the law. And, and then he contrasts, he says, but we, we're, we're by the Spirit, we're living by the Spirit. So those who are of the law, those who are of the circumcision, they were trying to serve God in the flesh. They could boast in their circumcision in, in chapter 6. They, he said, they want to circumcise you because they want to boast in your circumcision. Like, hey, I, I led this guy to Christ in circumcision. Right? And, and so Paul says, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. And so Paul contrasts, we're, we're different guys. Don't, don't get sucked into that legalism. Don't get sucked into that leaven teaching. Don't let it spread among you. We are those who live by the Spirit, who live by faith, faith in the, in Jesus, faith. We're leaning into the grace of God. We're hoping for the righteousness that comes from Him. And I think he's referring here to glorification. When we see Jesus and we are transformed and we are completely made like Jesus, conformed fully into the image of Jesus. Paul has made it clear already that righteousness already belongs to the Christian. We've already been declared righteous. He's already imputed the righteousness of God into our account by faith. But there's a day coming when we see Jesus face to face and we will be conformed perfectly into the image of God. And we wait for that. We long for that. When we see our selfishness and the sinful things that pop up in our life, it grieves us. It's one of the biggest heartaches of the Christian life. The reality that we fail to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We fail to love our neighbors as ourselves. And it grieves us. But we, by the Spirit of God, He's changing us. And He brings forth the fruit of love in our life. And, and one day, that will be perfect. His work will be completely done. Um, Paul in Philippians 3 says this. He says, look out for dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's circumcision, right? Uh, for we are the circumcision. I think one translation says the true circumcision. We are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You see, this was the, the opposite of, of the legalists, of the Judaizers. They were trying to serve God in the flesh. They were, they were trying to glory in their own achievement. Look at how righteous I am by doing these external things. And it was merely an external righteousness, not a heart righteousness. And they put confidence in themselves. And God, if you're trying to follow God, leaning on your own strength, God will break you. He will let you fall flat on your face to strip you. Like, like Peter. 
Peter says, Jesus, I'll die for you. Sincerely, I'll die for you, Jesus. He says, oh, really? You're going to deny me three times. But when you return, strengthen the brethren. Peter got a profound revelation of grace. He's actually one of the, the only that I'm aware of in the New Testament who refers to God as the God of all grace in 1 Peter 5.10. Uh, and, and God graciously restored him. Paul says in Philippians 3.9, he says, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now here are some false righteousnesses to look out for. When we launched City Church over two years ago, I read this because I preached on Philippians 3 about knowing Jesus. And I read these, this list here. Here are some things that we can lean on for righteousness. Be aware of leaning on these things. Discipline righteousness. If you're a disciplined person and you just feel really good about yourself by how disciplined you are, by the things, how, how, how you, dis, how you, whatever that looks like in your life. And at the end of this, fill in the blank. Your strength. What is that thing that you're good at? What is that thing that you may lean into as your righteousness? Family righteousness. You know how to lead your family well. How to love your spouse and love your children and train your children in a certain way better than everybody else. Beware family righteousness. Theological righteousness. You know all the answers. You've studied it. You know what that means. Be aware of equating theological uh, understanding with theological practice because it's not the same. Just because you understand the passage doesn't mean that you're doing it. Blessed are you if you actually do it. Intellectual righteousness. You're really smart. You can, you can get with the best of them. You can have some deep philosophical, uh, uh, discussions and debates and you can help people see how flawed their reasoning is. Accessibility righteousness. You're so available to anybody who needs you. You're there. You will show up like that. Phone call, text message, email, you're there. And so you're right with God and God loves you more because you're so accessible to everybody. Mercy righteousness. You are so moved with compassion like Jesus when he saw the, the multitudes and he was grieved and he wept over them and, and you cry when you see somebody hurting and you're moved. That's a good thing. But don't for your righteousness before God. Legalistic righteousness, as we're talking about, you're you're leaning on uh, the, the the your ability to keep God's laws to make you righteous, or financial righteousness. You're really good with finances. You know how to set a budget and keep a budget and be disciplined, and, and you make foolish decisions, and you're not in debt with with your your finances because you've handled well your 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 money. That's great, but that's not your righteousness. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. He's the one who makes you righteous. And you fill in the blank. If none of those sting you at all, if none of those bear witness with you at all, you fill in the blank or actually let your spouse do it for you. <laughs> let them fill in the blank. What is your righteousness that, that if, if, if you, <laughs> whenever you're being attacked or whenever you're being confronted, you bring that up. What about this? I, I always do this. I'm all, uh, what is that righteousness that you're leaning in? God forbid that we trust in anything else besides Jesus and His perfect righteousness to make us right before God. Because all other ground is sinking sand. If you want to stand on it, you will sink and fall. And so Paul goes on in verse 7. He says, you are, you, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from Him who calls you. 
So again, Paul likens the, 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 the Christian life to a race. And it's not that we have to be able to run a marathon to get saved. You come out of shape and unable as you are, and you get accepted and you're loved and you're, you're in the race. You're in the family of God. Okay? But running the race, following Jesus, does take some effort. It does, it does involve us obeying the truth. Paul is not throwing out obedience to the truth. Paul is not throwing out the law completely, saying it has no value at all. He says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Um, so, so again, uh, these guys were being hindered. They were being, somebody, they, the, the Judaizers came in, they cut in, and they, they, were, they were hindering the Galatians from running the race faithfully. And then he uses the analogy of leaven. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, uh, and the one who is troubling you will bear his own penalty, whoever he is. Paul in Philippians 1.6, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul was confident that true Christians will persevere and they will be preserved and the false will be sifted out. Lastly, how do we use our freedom? Our freedom must be used to lovingly serve others. So yes, you're called to freedom. Christ has made you free. He's purchased it for you. You have it. We need to protect it. We need to guard it. We need to walk in it. We also need to use it to serve others, not to indulge our flesh. Verse 13, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul tells us how to use our freedom. Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't be lax. Don't be lazy. Don't just just live ungodly, undisciplined because you're free in Christ. Serve people. You're not free to sin. You're free from sin. You don't have to keep on sinning. You're free from its dominion, dominating your life and ruling your life. You're free to serve and love God. You're free to love others. And that's the best use of our freedom. Uh, it's been said that the best use of our time, love is the best use of our time. And the best time to love is now. Okay, if you want to live a full life, a life that honors God, a life that helps others, a life that when you die, you won't look back on regret with, then live a life of love. Serve others through love. Uh, if I were, if, if God were to show you a video of your entire life on your deathbed, and you were to see it like a movie, what would you want to see on that? I would want to see myself doing verse 13, using the freedom, living in the freedom that Christ has called me to and, and given to me, and serving others in love. That's the best way to live. And if you got a lot of bad stuff on that video of your life, God's a great editor. He can fix that. He can, he, can, he can erase and cleanse and cast as far as the east is from the west. But let's honor him. Let's serve others with, with the freedom that we have. Paul, in, in Romans uh, 14 and 15 and, and in 1 Corinthians, the latter half of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how Christians should use their liberty. If you're free, if God's made you free, 
and, and you're, you're, you're secure and solid in your faith, like think about the weak brothers and sisters and like help them, serve them. You know, like, like a mom or a dad. If you're mature and you've, you're grown up, live responsibly and help others, serve others. Think about other people. Don't be childish and only think about me, 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 me. I want this. I want that. Have the mindset of a mature father or mother, a loving father or mother, and serve other people. Paul, in verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, Paul's not throwing out the law here. seems that he's actually establishing it. Like, the law reveals the nature and the heart of God. It doesn't make us righteous, but the law teaches us to love. Jesus said this, it's all summed up. The law is summed up. The law and the prophets is summed up with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The law tells us how to do that, but it doesn't enable us to do that like the gospel does, like the Spirit of God who lives inside of us, who believe the gospel, enables us to love. And then lastly, he says, beware if, if you bite and devour one another, like those dogs, legalistic dogs. Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And maybe, maybe you're a grace person. And there's, there's those who are the law person in, in the church. Alright? They have a tendency towards the law. You're more towards grace. Don't in the name of grace bite them. Like show grace in how you treat people. If, if you really believe in the grace of God and you treasure the message of grace, give grace to your spouse. Give grace to other brothers and sisters relationally. Be kind in your speech. Be loving. And, and Paul expounds on, on all this more. Uh, William Barclay says, Christian freedom is not licensed for the simple but tremendous reason that Christian that the Christian is not a man who has become free to sin, but the man who by the grace of God has become free not to sin. We have gospel freedom is not freedom to indulge the flesh, Gospel freedom is not freedom to exploit your neighbor. Gospel freedom is not freedom to disregard the law. It's freedom to love your neighbor and serve your neighbor. Amen? And so lastly, in application, guard your heart against legalism. If you're, if you're prone to be a legalist, and feel better about yourself and your status before God and before others by your outward performance, guard your heart. Don't just guard your heart against the sensual sins like lust and, and, and those other, those other, guard your heart against those things, but also guard your heart against this prideful, judgmental, legalistic way of approaching God and approaching people. Legalistic people look down on those who are not as advanced as they are. And it will, it will turn people off. It will, any of the outcast and the broken sinners who come into a church won't come back if there are uh, holier than thou legalists looking down on the sinners that walk in the door. If there are those elder brothers who are looking down on the prodigal sons and daughters walking into the door of a church, that will push them right out. All it takes is one of them in a church for a visitor to feel like, man, I don't want to go back there. I saw how that a dude was looking at me or that lady was looking at me. We should be those who have our life marked by grace, by kindness, by love. So use your freedom 
Not to sin, but to serve others. Use your freedom not to sin, not to indulge your flesh, not, not to be lazy and laxed and undisciplined. Redeem the times, make the most of it by loving others. The, the old hymn says, um, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. To thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my lips and let them sing only always for my King. And so give your life to God and His purposes. And you will find yourself most fulfilled and most joyful. Don't let legalism steal your joy. Make you a crabby Christian. Like you've been baptized in pickle juice. Legalism is a joy killer. Okay, and and while again, while you in our heads as evangelical Christians who believe the Bible and believe the gospel, in our heads we we may think, yeah, I don't believe I have I can be justified by the law. I'm justified by the gospel, but in our hearts we may feel condemnation when we're not living up to external disciplines that we put on ourselves or that others have, and 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 we're comparing ourselves with others. And so do you walk in a, in consistently in a feeling of freedom and joy? Or do you, do you walk consistently with a, with a kind of a condemned heart or a condemned conscience? That may be the effects of legalism in your life. And Christ wants you free from it. Amen? So let's pray. Lord, you love each one of these people here this morning so much more than I do. And you care about this freedom for them to walk in it and experience abundant fullness of life so much more than I do. And and even Paul, he was so passionate. He was, he was so concerned. He was so moved and, and invested in into the lives of the Galatian Christians, God, that he said some really strong things. And God, I pray that we would hear your heart this morning. That we would hear your heart of grace for us who are your children. That we would hear mercy and loving kindness. That we would hear gospel truth set us free. Free to run. Free to dance. Free to live for you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so may that reality mark our lives. Mark our families. Mark our homes. I pray that none of us in our homes would feel like we're walking on eggshells. With our spouses, with our children, or them, our children with us. That our homes would be marked with grace and love and freedom and life and faith. Not law and condemnation and guilt, shame and fear. So Holy Spirit, come and do your work this morning.